Welcome to Asia Rising, a podcast from La Trobe Asia, where we discuss news, views and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. We now reach the final instalment in a short series on Asia and the environment by taking a look at Indonesia. Indonesia is a sprawling nation of islands across Southeast Asia, and two environmental concerns are significant, deforestation and rising sea levels. The deforestation rate is one of the highest in the world, and rising sea levels threaten much of their territory, including the capital, Jakarta. Whether these are of national priority is another matter. Here to put this in perspective is Dr. Dirk Thompson, a senior lecturer in the Department of Politics and Philosophy at La Trobe University. He begins with explaining the tricky part of defining a nation made up of islands. Yeah, Indonesia is the largest country in Southeast Asia. Uh, it spans thousands of islands. How many exactly is not really known. Um, even the Indonesian government doesn't know. It's currently engaged in a, in a counting exercise, basically, to register islands that are currently not registered with the United Nations. So at last count, it was something over 13,000. Uh, some estimates go up to 17,000. Uh, but as I said, uh, how many exactly there are is unknown. It also changes constantly because it lies on the Ring of Fire, an area in Asia with lots of volcanic activity. So new islands keep popping up basically through volcanic activity under the sea. Mm. Others disappear. But for Indonesia, it's important uh, to map its territory for reasons of sovereignty, but also for reasons of access to marine resources. And that in itself makes Indonesia obviously um, a very important country in Southeast Asia. With regards to the environment, it's important because Indonesia is home to the third largest area of tropical rainforest after the Amazon and the African forests uh, in the Congo area. These rainforests then again host massive biodiversity. Mm. Indonesia is one of the uh, countries with the highest rate of biodiversity. In fact, according to some statistics, even though it's only about 1% of the Earth's land area, uh, it's about 10% of the world's known plant species, um, a bit more than that, I think 12, 13 of the world's known mammal species, and about 17% of all known bird species live mm. in Indonesia. And when you say known, there's a huge amount that would be unknown as well. Yeah, precisely. Some areas are still very poorly explored, especially in the Far East. In mm. Papua, for example, there are new species constantly being discovered. Also in Borneo, the island that Indonesia shares with Malaysia and Brunei, massive areas of rainforest still there with probably still lots and lots of undiscovered species. Mm. And as far as climate threats, you've got the normal deforestation kind of thing that goes along with having large amounts of rainforest and you've got the normal water level challenges that go along with islands. Yes. Um, one consequence of climate change is, of course, rising sea levels and a country with thousands of islands um, is naturally prone to risks from the rising sea levels. In Indonesia, it is feared that over the next few decades, several hundred of the smaller islands might disappear, mm. depending on how fast sea levels really rise. There are obviously different projections of how fast that will happen. Um, but yeah, some of the smaller islands are at risk of disappearing, and some of the bigger islands, some of the larger islands, face risks from flooding that is caused not only by problems within the island's uh, infrastructure, but also with the rising sea levels. All right, so can we take uh, those two problems, those two issues, and have a look at them 
a bit closely and look at the detail of how Indonesia is affected by them and how it is coping. So logging and deforestation, to the people in Indonesia, is it a big problem? Uh, as in, is there a lot of deforestation going on? Yes, it is. Some estimates think that Indonesia is now the country with the fastest rate of deforestation. This dubious honor used to belong to Brazil. But according to some studies, Indonesia is now logging its forests or burning its forests faster than Brazil. Mm. So, yeah, Indonesia is losing a lot of its forests. But that's also open to debate because definitions of what makes a forest differ between the Indonesian government and international organizations. So there's now very good satellite data, for example, that can show us how quickly forest disappears. That shows a very, very high rate of deforestation. But the Indonesian government claims that the rate is not so high because it includes plantations as forests. And therefore, if you take the whole range, the whole area that counts as a forest for the Indonesian government, their version says that the deforestation rate is not that high. Right. But yeah, internationally, Indonesia is deemed to be the fastest deforestation country. So it depends who you're asking ultimately. Yeah. But it's still a bad problem. And there's, there's quite a problem with illegal deforestation, isn't there? Yeah, once again, it uh, depends on who you ask. <laughs> um, if you consider plantations as forests, of course, um, then the area of what counts as a forest expands quite significantly, and therefore the percentage of what's illegal or not illegal decreases. Um, but if we only take natural forest, primary forest, which is usually the definition taken by international organizations, then... Yes, a lot of the logging or burning there, a lot of the forest is not logged, but is actually burnt down in order to make space for plantations. Yeah, okay. And a lot of that is indeed illegal, yes. There's one answer that you're going to get if you ask the government, is this a problem? What about the people of Indonesia? What's the, the basic vibe? Do they perceive deforestation to be an issue or is it just a resource? Yeah, well, for some it is a resource because it provides jobs. Um, palm oil, which is the main reason for the deforestation because in many of the areas where there used to be primary rainforest, there are now oil palm plantations. Yeah, Palm oil is now a very important uh, aspect of Indonesia's economy. Indonesia is now the largest palm oil producer in the world and palm oil is used in all sorts of products of daily use all over the world from soap to toothpaste to food. Palm oil provides a lot of jobs. So for some people working in these um, plantations and in these industries, of course, the deforestation is necessary to provide jobs. Mm. But a lot of the forests that are being chopped or burned are also not only inhabited by massive array of animals, but also by um, people, by traditional so-called adat communities, indigenous communities who have lived in these forests for a long time. And many of these are being displaced by the destruction of the forest, and they are the main sufferers from it. Then further down the chain, of course, the burning of forests is, has caused other problems with air pollution. The so-called haze crisis occurs every few years in Southeast Asia, caused by the burning of forests in Indonesia, especially on the islands of Borneo and Sumatra. Mm. This is causing massive health problems, not only in Indonesia, but also in neighboring countries. And there's a, a global perspective that weighs in on this as well, which I suppose would affect government decisions to some extent. Quite large campaign not to buy palm oil products, for example, because that is hurting the orangutan habitat. I like how it 
needs to be equated to an animal as well <laughs> in order for, to get people to tug at the heartstrings a bit. Is that a big factor for the government, outside pressure to try and rein in this problem? Well, the government gets quite defensive about this uh, external pressure. Slightly rightly so, but yeah. <laughs> but in Indonesia in particular, so for the last few years now, there's a stream in Indonesian politics or current in Indonesian politics that is um, heavily nationalist that perceives Indonesia to be unduly under pressure from the international community. This was a big theme in the last general election in 2014, but it continues to be so. So when external actors try to entice or coerce Indonesia into certain actions, into certain policies, then the government reacts quite defensively. We've seen that with the recent campaign against palm oil, for example. That has been a long-standing campaign by international NGOs. But more recently, the EU has also been quite active in promoting sustainable palm oil. And they recently passed a recommendation that by 2020, only sustainable palm oil should be used in the EU. So that would hurt in particular Malaysia, Indonesia, and some Latin American countries. Mm. And the Indonesian government has accused the EU of being discriminatory, even being racist with these kinds of policies because in their view, the EU overlooks the enormous economic importance of palm oil. And so they have yeah, bitterly complained about this. Where does the current government weigh in on it, though? Because in some aspects, it would be beneficial for them to have sustainable ways of harvesting and growing palm oil that isn't going to hurt orangutans. Yeah, at the moment, it largely defends the need to expand the palm oil industry. Mm. And expansion rarely equates sustainable ways of doing it. There are plans to massively expand the palm oil industry in order to cement Indonesia's leading position in the global market for this. At the same time, yes, the government is, of course, aware that the international pressure is there. But as far as I can see for now, it is unlikely to react to that in implementing more sustainable practices. Um, it also needs to be considered that a lot of the licenses for these palm oil plantations are given away at the local level. And local politicians use the issuance of these permits for political purposes. They can sell off these permits and use the money for their electoral campaigns. So these local politicians also have an interest in expanding palm oil quite significantly. And to some extent, the hands of the central government are tied in this regard because even though it has adjusted some of the legislation in order to control this a bit better, but much is still going on at the local level without oversight or without interference from the national government. Yeah, right. Shall we turn now to the issue that plagues every island, which is sea levels, and uh, definitely now with the uh, global effects of climate change. So how is that playing out in Indonesia? Yes, this has gained increasing prominence in recent years, in particular since the last governor election in Jakarta, which was uh, held last year in 2017 where a massive reclamation project in the Bay of Jakarta became one of the contentious issues during the campaign. Now, it became a contentious issue in the campaign because there was a corruption scandal that involved one of the investors and the local politician. 
It was also controversial because it put a spotlight on the then incumbent governor of dealing with the problem of flooding in Jakarta because his approach was to basically, first of all, go ahead with this controversial reclamation project in the Bay of Jakarta, but also with cleaning up the waterways in Jakarta and the most controversial part of it with evicting local settlements along those rivers who, in the administration's views, were contributing to the contribution and were making things difficult. Mm. So the rhetoric was, of course, to um, provide them with better homes, with new opportunities, but effectively these were evictions and these people were taken out of their livelihoods, out of their social context where they were living. But yeah, so in Jakarta, this has been very prominent ever since then. That governor back then, uh, known as Ahok, he of course lost the election. And the new governor, who has now been in office since last year, he is opposed to this reclamation project. So the whole idea of this reclamation project initially was to build something akin to a, a sea wall in the Bay of Jakarta in order, so the official argument, to allow rainwaters to flow out through the rivers into the sea. So in order to alleviate the risk of flooding, which has been plaguing Jakarta for decades. Mm -hmm. But as I said, it's become controversial because of the way it's been implemented, because it's basically now uh, seen as an investment for wealthy property magnates who are trying to build something very fancy, which no ordinary Indonesian can afford to live. So this will be like a new gated community offshore, basically. And a lot of the people who live there currently are from the lower socioeconomic classes, relatively poor fishermen, who will either be displaced or who will find it a lot more difficult to access their fishing grounds then. Right. Evict the people who are currently there, who are of a lower income, and make use of the reclaimed land. Having said that, is the essence of it that the seawall is needed? Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, as, as terrible as that aspect of it is and how opportunistic it is, the seawall itself... Well, I think most people agree that something needs to be done because... Jakarta is sinking faster than any other city in the world, uh, which is related to um, access to groundwater within the city, where Jakarta has long have had problems with. But other countries um, have had similar problems, and they have dealt with that in more socially and environmentally sustainable ways than Jakarta is planning to do this now. There are international consultancies involved from the Netherlands, for example, who basically say that Either you need to evict all these people or if you want to keep them there, you need to build something out at sea because otherwise their settlements will soon be inundated. Mm -hmm. I'm not a scientist. I'm not able to assess to what extent that is true or not. But it seems, given that these plans to build something there are around since the 1990s, but it seems as if something needs to be done in order to halt the risk of flooding from the rising sea levels. So the basic thing at the problem that I seem to gather is that there is very poor access to water in Jakarta. Most places don't have access to water. So you get a lot of illegal wells being mm -hmm. dug so that people can access water. Mm. And it isn't so much the sea level rising, which of course is going to be a problem anyway, but that Jakarta is sinking as mm. a result of all this illegal well activity. Is that the mm. general gist of it? Well, it's the two things coming together yeah. now. Um, that Jakarta has been sinking for a while. 
the rising sea levels, that's a relatively new problem. But that is the problem that will most probably continue regardless of what Jakarta or Indonesia does about the problem with the illegal wells. Yeah, at the moment, both come together and it's a toxic combination. <laughs> but the, the reality of the situation is that there is work being done. There are walls being built to keep the water at bay. Is it called AHOC's Orange Army? Is that the reference? Uh, that you've got people going through trying to actually clean up the waterways a bit? Yeah, as I said before, Alk was the governor who lost the election last year. So mm. he was a big proponent of the seawall project. I mean, the seawall is only part of it. Effectively, it's creating 17 artificial islands. Basically, what they will have is apartment blocks, very expensive apartment blocks, malls that are frequented by wealthy Indonesians, and perhaps hotels and resorts. Even though this project was included in the national budget, actually, for some assistance, it's so expensive that private investment is needed. So Ahok was pushing this, and he did initiate quite a few policies in order to get this going. I think work has been started since 2014 on three or four of those islands. Mm. Then it was halted in 2016, temporarily, after that corruption scandal that I mentioned earlier. But just at the end of last year, the national government gave the green light to resume work on these artificial islands. So they're pushing ahead with it now. Yeah. It seems like the public response to this hasn't been great in Indonesia, especially in the wake of the corruption scandal. Going back to the election in 2017, this whole reclamation project could have been a very important issue during the election campaign because a lot of people resisted the evictions of the um, poor settlements. A lot of people had concerns about the environmental impact of quarrying the sand to bring all uh, the sand in to build those artificial islands, about the changes in water temperature. There would have been a lot of issues that could have been used. But in the run-up to the election, none of this raised enough attention from the public to actually weaken Arc's campaign. He was in favor of it, and he was leading the polls until this whole other issue about his religion and his race came up, which eventually cost him the election. The reclamation, his political opponents had tried to use that against him before, but it wasn't really a potent weapon. So opposition was there and continues to be there based on what I just said, on the ruthless evictions of the people who live there at the moment, the fact that this will practically only benefit wealthy Indonesians and the environmental consequences. But overall, the impact of those concerns in the public debate was relatively limited. Mm. I read a couple of reports that have said that even if this went ahead to the full extent that it was intended, the reclamation, the seawall, etc., that it wouldn't be enough to help Jakarta. Jakarta has, in some projections, maybe 15 years before this gets really bad with water levels there. This is kind of known, isn't it? There's a contingency plan to move the capital I floated a couple of times that seems half-heartedly serious. Yes, it's true. So there's a few things here coming together. So, And I mean, I know that the moving the capital isn't only that problem, but that is part of it. Mm. Yes, the Indonesian government is, is contemplating to move the capital possibly to Kalimantan. The risk of flooding and inundation with water is probably a secondary or maybe a third sort of factor 
in these deliberations. I think the main reason is really the overpopulation and the constant traffic jams in Jakarta mm. that have prompted these ideas of moving the capital. But yeah, in these reports, usually further below, further down somewhere, you will then read, and also Jakarta is at risk of flooding. And um, if sea levels continue to rise, if these problems are not being tackled, that may also make the current infrastructure problems um, exacerbate quite significantly. How long it's really going to take before this gets really serious, it's hard to say. Flooding occurs annually in, in every rainy season. AHOC's initiatives between 2014 and 2017 had some impact. The flooding was a bit less severe, and he got a lot of credit for that from the public. It was quite visible to the public that AHOC was doing something about it. Yeah, That's probably also why his spin on the evictions. Quite a lot of people bought the idea that this was necessary in order to do something against the flooding. Yeah, how serious it's going to be down the track will depend on yeah, how quickly sea levels really rise and whether anything can be done against the expansion of you know big hotels and malls um, that contribute to the sinking of the city. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it will sink within the next 15 years or so, but something will need to be done in order to halt or at least slow down the process. I wouldn't be rushing to invest in real estate there, though. <laughs> so have you been there during a flooding season? Yeah, I've been there during rainy seasons and yeah. What's it like? Well, it depends on where you are. Certainly it's very bad in the areas right up in the north where um the Bay of Jakarta is located. On a scale of wearing gumboots <laughs> or renting a gondola. Whereabouts are we? <laughs> I've only been there in years when gumboots were okay. Okay. Um the last really big flood was in two thousand and seven and there gumboots would not have been enough. And it is feared that these kinds of floods may, you know, occur more often due to climate change, severe weather rising sea levels, etc. But yeah, I mean, that's now already 10 years ago. And of course, that give, gives people to say, oh, you know, it's already been quite a while. There's been some improvement in the last few years. So. Until the next big flood. Until the next big flood, yeah. That's Dirk Thompson, Senior Lecturer in Politics and Philosophy at La Trobe University. And you have been listening to Asia Rising. If you like this podcast, you can follow it in Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Please give it a review or a rating. It helps other people find the podcast. You can follow La Trobe Asia on Twitter, at La Trobe Asia, and you can follow me, I'm at Nightlight Guy. That's it today for Asia Rising. Until the next episode, I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening. <laughs>